1: I could stay here forever.
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
1: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Thanks so much for being here. My guest this week is Katie Garrettson. Now, it is very hard to become a director. And it is even tougher if you are a woman. And Katie Garretson has been a director for... 20 years now she's done among everything else 11 frasers she's done the odd couple she's done fuller house school of rock two broke girls girlfriends george lopez reba on and on and on and we're going to talk about the challenges of being a woman director this week and next it's a fun interview with katie garrettson this week on hollywood and levine first of all, I'm going to ask you how you broke in. I mean, it's hard enough for any director to break in, much less a woman. So uh, talk a little bit about your career because you've had a long career (laughs) before you broke in as a director.
0: That's very true. I, you know, I was an Air Force brat moved around most of my early life, grew up in Northern California and decided I needed to get away for college. And so I moved down to Los Angeles and I went to USC. I wasn't in the film school. I was in Annenberg at USC and I was going to be a lawyer and I wanted to be a politician of all God awful things. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and that's where my, my, I was a poli sci major in this pre-law cluster. But my college job I was a tour guide at Universal Studios. What a
1: fun job that must have been.
0: I'm telling you, it was my Camelot. I am still great friends with so many old tour guides. In fact, today, I'm having a Zoom happy hour with five of the girls I was tour guides with. So we've all <laughs> known each other since we were 18 years old. And, you know, when I, you were at my wedding, I must have had 50 tour guides at the wedding. So yeah, it, no,
1: no one showed me to my seat, though.
0: What? Oh, stop it.
1: (laughs) You know, Um, when when I was working at Universal, if I would be directing or writing on a show and I'd be walking along and one of those trams would go by, I would always (laughs) wave and go, washed up writer, washed up
0: writer, right here, take a photo. (laughs) It might have been me on that tram, happily pointing you out to the tourists. Um, So I was a tour guide at Universal and I kind of became enamored with showbiz and everybody i was working with and hanging out with they all wanted to be well most of them wanted to be actors and some of them did i was a tour guide with jack wagner remember him yeah uh, yeah and uh you and do there's soap operas still, yeah yeah there was um there were a lot of pe- there are a lot of people now in the business that were tour guides back in the day so i was i i was there for all through college. And I ended up evaluating tours and training new tour guides. And and when we were rewriting the tour guide manual, the the script, I would go down to the sets and be the liaison between what was filming on the back lot and what we were talking about on the tour. So we could always talk about the shows that Universal wanted to publicize. And so I was down on, uh, Joel Silver was uh remarkably, because I don't think he's like this with everybody, he was just wonderful with me. And he, uh, he was shooting a movie called Streets of Fire. That's one of the shows I went to visit. And he would take me to the looping sessions. and And I was a VIP on set. He even had me be an extra on set. And um, when Walter Hill was shooting Weird Science, I went down and because I was a journalism major at USC, I decided to write about showbiz. So I profiled Walter Hill and wrote about his assistant directors and, you know, that whole dream of being a, a lawyer and a politician. Kind of went by the wayside. I got sucked into showbiz, as they say. Uh,
1: Weird science versus a weird courtroom. Yeah. I can see why you made that decision.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Who knows about the the road not traveled. But right out of college, you know, how how is somebody who is an Air Force brat not from Hollywood? I have no family in Hollywood. I have, you know, only friends who want to work in Hollywood. So how do I get in? Somebody told me about this uh, test that I could take. And, and I was a really good test taker. And it was the Directors Guild Assistant dire- Directors Training Program Test to be a DGA trainee. Uh, you've probably seen those credits on movies and TV shows, DGA mm-hmm. trainees. And um, it's a two-year program where the Directors Guild assigns you to different Projects So you can get connections. And after you earn your 400 days as a trainee, you're automatically in the Directors Guild as an assistant director member. So I took that test. I got in um, and spent two years as a trainee, and then I became an assistant director, and I worked on mostly movies and TV movies as an AD. I did Star Trek movies. I did a Sylvester Stallone movie. I worked with Blake Edwards, uh, Ridley Scott. Um, I had a great career going as an assistant director, but then uh, I think it was right after Star Trek VI, the last one with all the original cast members. Being an AD is a really tough job, and there's yep. a high rate of burnout. I mean, you're working 14, 16 hours a day. You're, you know, it's one of the reasons I don't remember my 20s. But uh, <laughs> you know, I was traveling all over the place for different productions, and I got a call to do a little show called Frasier.
1: That's where I met you.
0: Yes, it is, and. I, The first few years of Frasier, I wasn't ready to give up that single-camera lifestyle. And I'm sure you've talked on your pod about differences between single and multi-camera. But it is a completely different ballgame the way these shows are shot. And on Frasier, you know, I got to go to work and at the same place in the same city every day. I got to laugh. When I got to work, I got to hear people playing that beautiful piano in the living room, and and go to big parties. And I'm, you know, I slowly segued out of of doing single cam into um, into multicam, into sitcoms. I just really love the format. I love the audience, the theatrical aspect of all of it. And speaking of theater, Frazier, as you know, um, would hire a lot of theater directors to direct the show.
1: Right. Scott Ellis and Jerry Zachs.
0: Jerry Zachs, Yes. And a lot of them had never worked with cameras before. So I worked really closely with a lot of the directors as did our camera coordinator, uh, Jim Rose. And, and I was really interested in the process. And if I was to say, if someone asked me who my mentors were, I would say, Um, obviously all the directors I worked with as an AD because I would watch and I would learn, and I really had the benefit of working with some of the best directors in the business. So I was a mentor
1: for one week?
0: You were a mentor for, oh, we worked together more than that, I think.
1: Well, I Uh, I only directed one while you were the first AD. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah.
0: God, I feel like you directed a lot of Well, then
1: you moved on and you became... Way yeah too I yeah. slowly
0: segued out, mm-hmm. but you know james Burroughs, Jimmy Burroughs, he you know to be able to watch him work and try to absorb as much as possible, um, but David Lee was probably who I would say was my mentor more than any any other. And it was such a pleasure yeah, it was such a pleasure listening to him on your podcast, uh, hearing his voice i haven 't spoken to him in a while, and he was one of my favorite directors to observe because he also is such a brilliant writer and he really concentrated on the story and on all the little subtleties. And I think because he was the creative, the creator of the show and an executive producer, um, he could really bring more than I think a lot of the other directors were afraid to bring maybe um, as guest directors, because he was part of the original family and he had that level of respect with the actors and, It was just a a joy to watch him, and he knew that I was trying to absorb everything, and he would have me over to his house and show me how he blocked cameras. He had the blueprints out. He had little cutouts of of the cameras and the actors, and he went move by move and and used different colored pencils because, you know, when you're directing multi-camera, you're doing... You know, and on Frasier, we have long scenes. It wasn't like Seinfeld that had two-page scenes that were relatively easy to shoot. Uh, 10, 15-page scenes on Frasier, it's a lot, of, a lot of shooting. Yeah, and it is. With, and you, you have five, stopping. six
1: characters in a scene. Mm-hmm. And four cameras, and they 're all moving around, and you need masters and singles and reaction shots and two shots yep. and yep. it 's all happening simultaneously mm-hmm. uh, yep. it 's like a Rubik 's cube, you really it, have to learn that
0: it 's like a puzzle. But I love putting together puzzles. I do a Sudoku every morning just to get my brain going. And I've always said to people who've shadowed me and who want and I teach a class on directing at USC and and we go over multi-cam. And I said, listen, it's not the shots that are difficult in multicam. It's the transitions from shot to shot because you cannot stop rolling you're you're doing the whole scene so this camera will have the two shot across the room and then on this line cue they have to swing over and get the single of this guy on the other side of the room and it's figuring out you know you've got to learn to kind of edit in your head and i used to watch jim burroughs look at the the quad split the the monitors that had all what all four cameras were seeing and he would take a pencil and point to each quad split editing the show as we watched all four cameras at once, and we could see how it was going to piece together and on what lines he was going to cut from camera to camera uh, when it got to post, and that was invaluable. It's, it's tough to learn that, though, because there's so much going on in a scene with with all the actors and with four cameras and, and watching four monitors and making sure you actually can take in everything and your brain can absorb everything. And
1: Here's the thing, too, is that you prepare, like you said, you'd be sitting with David Lee, mm -hmm. and you would be with your little men and your little cameras, and and I used (laughs) to do the same thing, too, and you go, okay, so when Kelsey crosses around the couch, then I'll have... A camera pick up this and Mm -hmm. X will get him and then this guy will move over and and keep them both and you know and you have it all prepared and then you get (laughs) down there and the uh the you know camera coordinator will go you know it'd be a lot better if you had a single of him on C camera Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and you go okay and if you put him on C camera and then the rest
0: of your plan (laughs) Does it work? It falls apart, and that happens all the time, especially Mm -hmm. when you're newer, and and it's hard because you're you're doing your cameras a lot of times at home. Um, In a sitcom, it didn't happen so much on Frasier, but on other shows, there would be a lot of rewrites, and so if the show shot on Fridays, but we had to block all the cameras out on Thursdays, sometimes after the Wednesday run through they would say, you know what? The script isn't working. We're just going to give you a whole new script or half the script would be new and you'd come in on Thursday never even having seen a rehearsal. So for things like that and even when you have seen the rehearsal and you work it out perfectly, when I set my cameras, I know it's just a starting point. It's a Mm -hmm. blueprint. And you really do work together with the cameras, with the crew. Sometimes the camera operators will will have great ideas on, on beautiful shots. They want to showcase their wares too. And uh, it's, you know, so my camera camera list is my shot list is kind of, kind of a blueprint. And then when you get out there with everybody, then you, then you put it together and, and ideally you make it work.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it took me a number of episodes and, and I remember uh, I was doing my own show almost perfect
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I love that
0: show by the way
1: oh thank you and got a call on Sunday night our camera blocking was on Mondays because we uh-huh. shot on Tuesday nights and I got a call Sunday night that our director was passing a kidney stone oh, no. and wasn't going to be there so I said all right well then I'll come in and camera block and so I came in Monday morning without having seen how he blocked the show oh, and no. and I just had to do it on the fly. And the fact that I was able to said, okay, I'm ready. I, didn't that I, feel
0: good? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It did. Sunday night did uh, not feel good.
0: <laughs> did not I know get that much feeling. sleep but I know that <laughs> feeling. It's awful.
1: It's you awful. You know I talked to I talked to a director who had done both mm-hmm. and also features. And he said I can take a multi-camera director and I can teach him how to be a single-camera director in 20 minutes. Yep. He says if I take a single-camera director and try to teach him how to do multi-camera, he may never get it.
0: That's so true. So true. And and having been an AD and seen that happen, it's multicam is a whole other ball game and it's really hard to teach single-camera directors how to do it because you are shooting you know, mostly proscenium style. You can't cross the line. You've got four cameras shooting at once. I remember when I was an, I, I was an AD for, on a Blake Edwards movie. And for some reason, he wanted to do a sitcom. And after we finished that, he actually did do a sitcom. It, it never went past the pilot, but because it was a disaster. And Blake Edwards is a genius, but he got down to the set and he never could really grasp how to do it properly within the time constraints, and, and I, it just didn't work. So I, I completely agree with you on that.
1: And eventually, too, you start learning how to block the show mm-hmm. with your cameras in mind. Oh, you, you know, You, you, you know not to, not to put somebody in a spot where it's going to be hard to shoot them or put yeah. somebody in a spot where you're only going to be
0: able to get a profile. Right, and thinking of the frame lines and knowing you can't put a person here because that camera is going to be off the set, and when you're shooting sixteen by nine, that oh god, the old days when we had to cover for the the square TV sets and the rectangle TV yep. screens mm-hmm. that was horrible. It made for very ugly pictures. But now, in now some it's, cases, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. You know, I wanted to say that David Lee was the one who did give me my first episode to direct. And I am eternally grateful for him. I always said, if I ever get up there and win an award for directing, he's going to be the first person I, I, I thank. So, so David, know that I still have that in mind if that ever happens. And he came to me at the end of fifth season, maybe fourth or fifth season, and said, I get the feeling, and this is after he'd been teaching me stuff, that you might want to direct and so I never really had I had this whole thing. I have a journal where I was going to approach Angel Casey Lee, David Angel and Peter Casey and and David Lee at the end of that season to get an episode to direct. And David Lee beat me to the punch for which I'm also eternally grateful. And then I got nominated for my first episode and both of my guest stars got nominated for Emmys. And so I Which was they, it? It was Dr. Nora. With Christine Baranski and Piper oh. Laurie. Oh, Side note: Funny story about Dr. Nora, It's probably the least seen episode in all of Frasier. Why? Be- because when it aired, so it aired once in prime time. I had a big party, and and I, the you know the rerun and residuals and and you know that that type of process because I was a new director, and then it never aired again come to find out and and I have to thank uh, the gay and lesbian association glad cuz they uncovered that because Paramount was creating a show with Dr. Laura Schlesinger and it was a par our, my episode was a parody of Dr. Nora where Christine Baranski was a parody of her right they just they pulled it out of syndication wow so yeah, for like two years. So it never got an additional primetime run. There was a big article in the L.A. Times about it that uh, Glad covers that Paramount is pulling episodes of, you know, their hit show. So as not to, to, to offend Dr. Laura and Carrie McCluggage, who was president of the studio at that time, actually came down to set to apologize to me. And it was but it was a shame. It was an excellent episode. Joe Keenan wrote it. He was nominated for a WGA award. I was nominated for a DGA award. Both of the guest stars got Emmy nominations. It was a wonderful episode. And they had pulled it out of syndication. So to appease their, their show host, Dr. Laura. And, well, you know, there's more
1: to that story in the sense that if they pull it,
0: mm-hmm. that costs you money. It cost me a lot of money because mm-hmm. primetime residuals are, you know, ten times as much as what you get when it goes into syndication. Right. And so I never got residual run. To, and and Frazier had been. Uh, the deal was that they would have three primetime episodes of each epi- of each primetime airings of each episode. So I missed out on the second two, which yeah, it was a lot of money. That but is I a didn't lot of know.
1: money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it launched your career, so, it did. so there's it
0: did. that. It How about did. dealing
1: with actors?
0: Oh, it's so funny. It's one of my favorite things. I love the rehearsal process, and it's one of the biggest challenges, I think, coming from the assistant director position, because it's considered more of a managerial technical position as opposed to the creative position. So the big comment you hear is, but can she talk to actors? Everybody assumes I'm great at the cameras and, and that the other side of directing, working with the actors, would be a challenge. And it's, it's one of my favorite things. And I remember one of my favorite moments in showbiz is because of this wonderful theater actress who, and, and movie and TV actress who I know you know, Christine Ebersole, mm-hmm. who I just think is a goddess. I was directing her in an episode of a show and I was the first female director in three seasons that they'd ever had. And it was this big deal. It was like a boys club over there. And, and it was two former Frasier writers, F.J. Pratt and Dan Cohen, who called me in. And, and they said, you know, we we're having our first female director. And, you know, we've, it's, we're very nervous about it. But we think you can do it. As though it's something that women couldn't do. As though... It, it's just the stuff I've heard. But anyway, the episode went great. It was, it ended up, they had already asked me back for like the next season, another story of my life and told me they wanted to meet me to be uh, the house director. And then the head of the network changes over and they canceled the whole slate. So my episode ended up being the series finale. But during that episode, Christine Ebersol pulled me aside, one of my favorite moments. And she says, Oh, it is just so nice to finally work with an actor's director. Oh, my God, that she would say that to me. It was like, this is what I've wanted to hear, that somebody actually recognizes. And and since then, I've actually, that's been a comment that I've received. And it just, it brings me a lot of joy. I just think. And I don't know whether it has anything to do with me being a woman, but I love to think about the scenes. I love to think about what the actors are, would be thinking in those moments and, and the storytelling aspect of it. It's, it's one of the joys of, of my job. So you know, what cameras, are some the of the stuff,
1: unique challenges that you face? As a woman? Mm-hmm.
0: It's important to realize that things are different now than they were over 20 years ago when I started directing, but we have a long way to go, um, and I'm sure a lot of it is still the same. But back then, there were very few female directors, and there were one or two that were held up as, as you know, the, the queens. Then, well, they can do it, and so they were the examples, and that. As long as they were working, I guess the industry felt fine. And so there weren't a lot of new women being brought into the mix. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been on meetings where they say, we had a female director and it didn't work out as though we're all the same. Right. So the next guy you get and he doesn't work out, where are you going to go next? A monkey?
1: We had so, a left-handed director and that, <laughs> that didn't work out.
0: Yeah. Um, and, but I think the challenge is... being a woman are the same challenges that any man would have going into a show, but they're magnified. We look and we sound different. You know, we have boobs, you know, only a few of the men directors I've, you know, worked with ever had boobs. And so we, we just look different out there. We, uh, I have to think about what I wear, how I'm presenting myself. Um, are they going to think I'm too much of a, a girly girl? Because I am. And I think that, my best experiences are when I felt most confident about myself as a, as a person. And when I let my, those insecurities get the better of me is when I'm not at my best. But women are assumed to be right or wrong, wrong, I think, less funny than men, um, especially if a woman is maybe slightly attractive, Um, I think we're tested and second-guessed and talked over, disregarded uh, perhaps a little bit more than than men would be. I I know I've experienced that. I don't think I'm ever really disregarded, but the talking over, the the second-guessing. And if you're firm and you know what you want, then if that means that a man didn't get what he wants, Wants, then you're difficult or you're not a team player and you risk alienating some guy who's who has his opinion. And a lot of times you don't. I mean, I've had a lot of great experiences. The positions on set that are not always supportive, strangely, are the A.D.s and the and the camera coordinators, because a lot of times they also want to direct.
1: Right. I was going to say they're resentful.
0: Yeah, that I took it. I actually had a camera coordinator say to me um, not long ago when I've got years of experience, sit, tell me, well, they wanted me to do it, but the network wanted a woman. It's like, well, what a thing to say to somebody <laughs> that's coming in to direct your show. And so I don't know, I. It, it's a fine line. You have to walk. And it, it saddens me that I'm still often the token female director. I did a show last season, my favorite show that I ever directed. It, it got canceled. But it was about two sisters, mostly. they were, oh, That were other broke? Ma- yeah. Oh, I love that show so much. Alex Hirschlag and and the whole cast. It was just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experience. And I was so looking forward to going back. I was, we were all devastated that it didn't get picked up, but you know, there were 13 episodes that were shot and two of them went to a woman and I got those two. And I'm super grateful that I got those two, but why there was only one woman director on that show. I am, I can't tell you I should go back in my credits and, and list how many times I was the only female director On a show, and that just saddens me, as though we're just filling a quota and not really being there as valuable contributors to the storytelling and to the process. And and I think I think the show's only better benefit when you have diversity, whether it's people of color, whether it's women behind the camera, because we may look at stories a different way. We may see things that that the guys don't see. We we have a different outlook. We have um, you know there are other things that are brought to to the show when you do have people that represent different backgrounds and different stories and and a different segment of the audience Uh, the stories aren't all told from one point of view so and i think that plays into casting and wardrobe and every element of the show when you have uh men that are making all those decisions it's from the male point of view what they think the audiences want to see and half the audience are, are women and and a substantial amount are people of color and so if you want to broaden your audience it's i think it's to the show's benefit to really make them more inclusive Okay, that's part one of my
1: two-parter with Katie Gerritsen. Part two next week, we'll delve into directing again, and also we'll talk about the show that I so hated. Two broke girls. She was a director on that show. It's a lively discussion. Anyway, that is next week. Our thanks as always to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce and Jason Miller. If you want to subscribe, please do. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is Hollywoodlevine at Outlook.com. That's Hollywoodlevine at Outlook.com. I'm on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Also on Twitter at Ken Levine. Part two with Katie Garrettson Coming up next. Next week, stay safe. Talk to you then. Hollywood and the fine. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms
0: are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars.